LDB, 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 LDB. Good evening, LDB. It's time for your favorite podcast. I'm your host, Chris Schultzer, joined as always by our co-commissioner and host, Matthew Starr. Matt, how are we doing on this fine Monday? Uh, you know, I'm doing all right. Uh, can't complain, really. That's good to hear. How about yourself? Uh, life's been pretty good. Um, I, I did a long drive yesterday, dropped the kids off at camp, back on the Cape. Uh, it's, it's tough to beat that. Um, we also have our co-host, Michael Becker. Michael, how you doing? Doing great. This is actually my third favorite podcast, Behind Rates and Barrels and Fantasy Baseball podcast, but uh, appreciate the sentiment. Priorities, my friend. That is, that is, that is ass backwards is what that is. <laughs> uh, and once again, Sean apologizes. He's not here. He will join us soon. He's on a whirlwind tour uh, with, with a bunch of visits with, with friends and family. But, but long overdue, we have Jeffrey Dubner. Mr. Dubner, how are you, sir? Good, good. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was about time, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I've always thought of it like, um, who's the Irish kid from Rushmore? At the end, you know, we asked him to be in his play. He says, I always wanted to be in one of your fucking plays. <laughs> sort of how I've always kind of thought about... Uh, Magnus, uh, wasn't it Magnus? Podcast. Yeah, Magnus, yes. Magnus, yeah, Magnus. Magnus. The fuck's up here? I, I, I will say, I, I think it's probably uh appropriate that sean's not here because he's our ghost champion so he's 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 ghosting us right now he's our ghost champion he's also my natural rival the wind and the works back in the days when uh for some reason ldb had natural rivals um we were designated and so for years we would like play each other extra times and have a little extra trash talking i actually almost named my team when i named it complete works of matt mcqueenie the runner-up in contention was total clips of Sean Cran. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. When did you get rid of natural rivals? How long ago was this? I missed I this. I think it was a scheduling thing. Star, you yeah. may remember better than yeah. I do. Yeah, I, I don't. I think it might have been when we, like, when we had twelve teams or something. I don't even remember. There was it had to, it had to do with scheduling. It was basically like a reason there had to be like one team you played in the other division twice. Um and so we just like created natural rivals. Mine was Ray actually. That's very nineteen ninety nine major league baseball. Like the year they did futuristic <laughs> uniforms and the 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 cool new interleague play. Oh yeah it was definitely a sort of juicing broadcast viewership for LDB. <laughs> we also around this time we thought about doing um, park factors and maybe even managers and having like each team when it was at home have some sort of like stat that got skewed or something like that but we never we never went that far that would have been really messed up i i'm just gonna say that right now like that would have been like taking it way too far <laughs> um but uh we got a lot to talk about i i think we picked the right week to have you on dubner because like you've made a lot of moves um but i think everyone really wants to start by hearing that you're an opera singer and letting you test your pipes uh, on the podcast. So let's have it. <laughs> yeah, I have never been an opera singer. I mean, you all hear what I sound like every time you listen to the podcast. Um, it's, on the one hand, it's pretty terrible. On the other hand, I was literally sitting on the toilet when I sang that. So <laughs> I'm 
you know, I gave it the care. <laughs> I gave it the care that LDB always deserves. Um, no, but I, I, go ahead, Star. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, I, I was like, oh, now I have to think about that every time I hear the theme song. Yeah, sure. <laughs> wish you hadn't said that. Sorry, I thought I had already. I thought I had already gave that little bit of you know behind the scenes. Uh, Not to me. Thanks. Like that New York Times segment, uh, the making of the song. <laughs> well, I was sitting on the toilet, and uh, the shittiest when inspiration the strikes. Yeah, uh, but no, didn't you meet Georgia on the set? Uh, Georgia's my wife, everybody. But uh, Dubner met Georgia at Harvard uh, on the set of an opera, and I, I just always assumed that you were a singer. You, you were. That's not. right. No, I mean, I did, I did a little acting and singing, but I was in the pit. I played uh, a lot of percussion. Um, and, you know, through college, I did a little bit of orchestral percussion in high school. I was in an incredibly bad garage band, you know, all the usual stuff. Um, but so that's how I know Schutzer's wife since before I know actually anybody who's currently in the league. Jeff is the only person, Jeff Harcourt, that I might've known since before I've known Schutzer's wife. Yeah. So there you have it. Um, all right. Well, I, I, just, I just like to share, I just like to point out real quick. Uh, you know, talking about singers, uh, Chris Schitzer uh, had some information that you guys may not know. He was awarded best arrangement uh, on uh, uh, the during the best of collegiate acapella 2004, guys. So just you know, in, ca in case you were anyone was ever wondering, uh, wow. something that that should was never wondering. What yeah. what was the song or medley? Uh, six underground. Uh, you remember that sneaker pimp song? Six, uh, six cool underground. Um, yeah, we we worked that one up. That was pretty good. Uh, uh, I, I I believe you also did vocals on uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers' "Breaking the Girl," if I remember correctly. That that is also right. I, yeah, I did cakes. I will survive. I did uh, uh, Guster's two points for honesty. Yeah, a whole bunch of whole bunch of things. But uh, we, "Breaking we, the Girl," I'm going to guess, is a song that does not hold up very well. Or has not aged well. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Now. Got a lot of stuff that's a little embarrassing in in hindsight. I mean, Cherry Pop and Daddy's smack my bitch up. I mean, we had we we made some mistakes. We did. I would say probably ninety five percent of things by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I would guess. Yeah, I, I I don't know if you've gone back and listened to any of their albums like in the last like few years, but. Some of the music holds up and some of it really doesn't. I, I you know, I, I don't think that, uh, don't think they were the best band. They were just sort of the right band at the right time. Um, but anyway, uh, Dubner, we've gotten a little far off of where we meant to go with this. Like, wh why don't we start just with a little bit of an intro to those in the league who don't know you? Um, how did you first come to uh, access LDB? Was it through Jeff, I'm assuming? Yeah, through Harcourt. So we knew each other a little bit in college. He was in a band better than my high school band by far, but in a, in a band in college with uh, one of my roommates, Taylor Terry, who has been a sometime auctioneer for LDB. Um, and then Jeff and I got to know each other better when we both moved to DC after college. So he invited me in when he was starting a league in 2007. I had gone back to law school, but flew down to DC for the, uh, for the auction and have been in it ever since. All right, um, that makes sense. And then you've now won the league twice, correct? Yep. Okay, and huge Red Sox fan? Big Red Sox fan, yep. Although not, I mean, I'm more a fan of the game these days than somebody who lives or dies on his team. Um, 
I sort of stopped being a rabid fan at just the right time, right before the 2003 season. So that like when that heartbreak came, I was sort of ready to not be totally devastated by it for months. Okay. But then you celebrated 2004, like crazy. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I still, I still celebrate it all. But, you know, if they lose, they lose. These things happen. So you're a bandwagon fan. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Uh, one way to look at it, I guess. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, and, the, and the job these days, you care to share anything about that? The job is great. So I, I work at a nonprofit called Democracy Forward. We mostly do administrative law. So spent the last four years challenging unlawful executive branch action of all different sorts. Um, and now we are moving into a post-Trump era and branching out into, into a whole bunch of different things. But so it's a great chance to sort of make something and you know create an organization that didn't exist before 2017. I mean, didn't exist before we started it and make it into what we want. So it's been really fantastic. And they supported me in taking a sabbatical the last couple of months, which was wonderful. It's comforting to know that the executive branch no longer does anything patently illegal. You'd be surprised at how much the like low hanging fruit has disappeared. It's, it's, you know, almost a shame from a litigator standpoint. Star, I almost want to leave room since I think, I feel like, you know, Dubner much better than I do for you to ask any questions that you think the league ought to know. Um, but barring that, I'll give you a minute to think about that. Cause I'm totally putting you on the spot. Uh, I mean, I think what I wanted to say about my knowledge of Dubner is in addition to his amazing sense of humor, I think of you Dubner a little bit as like a Renaissance man. Like every time that some, a subject comes up over email, I feel like you know about it, whether it's TV or music or board games or beer or whatever it is. I feel like you're, you're, you're somebody who really appreciates knowledge and learning. Would you say that that's fair? I, I'm glad that I give off that image. I think it might be partly the opposite. I'm just, so uninterested in actually doing anything that I sit at my computer all the time. So I'm always there to respond to emails and, you know, it makes it seem like I know stuff. Um, but I'll take the compliment. Maybe it's I just feel like I should, thinking of compliments I've gotten on the podcast, two things to correct from previous episodes. One, Mark said that I, I'm always in competition in our work league. I am terrible in our work uh, Yahoo League, in part because I just don't care compared to LDB. Like going back to a standard five by five, you know, draft league after doing only LDB for years, it's just so uninteresting. So I do literally zero research and like everybody I wanna draft are the people who haven't been in available, you know, in LDB for years. Um, so it's like Pete Alonzo, when am I ever gonna be able to get Pete Alonzo? Um, and I do terrible every year. Um, and the other one, when you were talking about funniest people, the whole thing, I got a discount because he didn't mention Ray. How can you have a conversation about funniest people in LDB without Ray Sylvester? Um, but I will take all of these compliments. So whether, whether I see them that way or not, love them, keep them coming. Am I the one who timed out? I think I am. Are you guys, can you guys hear me? Still tracking, all good. Yeah. Yeah, you froze for a second. Go. All right, I did freeze. Awesome, awesome podcasting when the internet's a little unstable. So start looping back to you. Is there anything that you feel that we really should have interviewed uh, Dubner on and just made sure the league knew? Um, 
I mean, we're going to get to some of it in a second, but I, I did want to hear a little bit more about Dubner. You talked about your sabbatical and uh, your trip out. You went out west, I believe. Like, mm -hmm. hear a little bit more about that. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful. So I have a sister in Santa Cruz and a sister in Chicago. So I visited both of them and in between um, drove up the California and Oregon coast through Crescent City and um, up uh, about a third of the way, maybe up the Oregon coast and then cut inland and did some camping for a week or so and visited a friend who lives outside of uh, Ashland. Um, just wonderful. I mean, Southern Oregon is at least of places I've seen, the most beautiful non-national park place I've been in the States. It's just fantastic. Um, very worried about wildfire season, but um, just just gorgeous if you can get out there. Went rafting, went kayaking, hiking, you know, all the good stuff. That does sound pretty awesome. Uh, so are you back at work now? I am, yep. Um, I, you know, I love my job. My job is great, but like, no job is better than no job. Um, at least if you don't have to worry about, you know, your next job. Um, you know, I, I know plenty of people who think, you know, can't really deal with retirement. My dad has every year said he's going to retire and then not, and I'm ready for it. I'll, I'll retire right now if I can find a way. I think I understand that. I, I, I think that like there's, Having spent enough time not working at various points, it can be boring, like after a while, but the, at least for the first stretch, it's always great. Um, but then you, you know, that, that weird, like, what am I doing thing kind of can set in. I, I usually it takes, it takes several months though, before that. Yeah. Yeah. It would take a while for me. The other piece of my sabbatical to note is, is my bold prediction for the last couple of years of somebody writing a screenplay based on Hughes's survey question. Um, <laughs> some of the some of the sabbatical was dedicated to trying to write a screenplay. It turns out it's hard. Um, surprise. Uh, but I've got like a third of it. I've got a solid first act. I think we'll have a baseball in space screenplay, you know, sometime in the near future. And, you know, maybe it'll be something. Maybe not. Cool, man. Good for you for, for, uh, for pursuing it. That's awesome. Um, so uh, are you guys good to, to switch over to the board game segment? Because... This is a segment I've wanted to do forever, and we all agreed we were waiting for you, Dubner, because uh, you may be the well. Maybe Becker's not excited. <laughs> Becker, well, no, yeah. I'm 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 good transitioning. I just want to share uh, a fun anecdote. So I I had the good fortune of hanging out with Dubner this week socially for the first time outside of LDB. We were both at the Washington Nationals game on Wednesday, and I was there with a uh, a neighbor who I've become really good friends with from New Zealand. And uh, we're just, everyone's shooting the shit and Dubner was there and Josh was there. And Dubner turns to my buddy Marshall and, and <laughs> almost apropos to nothing goes, do you play board games? <laughs> and Marshall goes, nah, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and that was about the last thing Dubner said to Marshall. <laughs> it was, I was explaining because the three of us, me, Becker and Josh were talking about LDB and I was telling him about, you know, and we had commented on how annoying it must be to have us all talking about our fantasy league, you know, uh, around him, like, what the hell is he going to talk about? Um, and so I was transitioning to talking about Star and Mark and my Gloomhaven game with our friend Heather, where, you know, every week, of course, we would talk about LDB for 10 or 15 minutes while she just sat there, you know, checking her phone because we're, you know, very conscientious friends. Well, Marshall's a good sport, but uh, now neither of us played board games, so I may not have a lot to contribute to this segment, but I'm, I'm eager to learn. 
Fair enough. And I'm glad that you already brought up Gloomhaven because I tried it and it's one of the few games that like it's so highly rated and I'm like, I just, I don't, I don't get it. Uh, but it might be that I had to like play it with my son and uh, my nephew and they were just a little young for it. But all right, for, for listeners at home, in case you're not board gamers, we're going to try to keep this segment relatively advice driven because I think we've got some experts in the room. Um, I think Star and Dubner are both uh, very big gamers. I like, I have less knowledge than they do, but I play a fair amount. Um, I'm more the type who finds like 10 games and then plays them without ever stopping. Um, so we've got a few questions that we're really t- uh, targeting Dubner, but I'm going to encourage Star to uh, jump in. And Becker, I mean, I, th- I think if, if the mood strikes you, you should chime in as well, because it'll be interesting to hear what you've got to say. So I can bring a fr- fresh per- perspective. Yeah, well, I, I you know, I, I didn't actually write this question down, but I think it's a nice layup. Like Dubner, if, if we were to average the last year, how many hours would you say you spend playing board games a month? This last year is a little bit weird because it's pandemic and about six months into that, somebody introduced me to board game arena. And so like all of my, you know, procrastinating during the workday time or my like this meeting is boring time has been, you know, turning on, you know, going over to boardgamearena.com and, you know, playing a couple rounds of something or other. So this year has been higher um before those days uh, I don't know I mean we would have I would say probably 10 hours a month maybe I mean we would have Gloomhaven once or twice a month maybe every other month I would play some you know some other games with somebody um it's probably about what I'd say Star is that about right for you as well yeah that's probably about right I you know I, I obviously with the pandemic uh it's harder to get people together to play board games uh I've been playing a lot with uh, Anna just at home, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it's gone in like ebbs and flows. We've had we've had stretches of months where we've like been really into some game and played a lot, you know, played multiple times in a week, and other times we've gone like weeks where we haven't played anything. So yeah, I think ten ten hours a month is probably about right, you know, pre-pandemic times, something like that. So Dubner, we'll start with you. Like, what game have you been loving lately? Uh, so these days, the two that I'm probably, you know, most addicted to online um, are Race for the Galaxy and Chakra. Um, Race for the Galaxy, it's sort of like Dominion, which I know Schutzer's a big fan of and some people know. Um, you, you're you sort of both getting dealt cards and trying to build out your um, board of cards faster than the other person. And, you know, there are a lot of different strategies you can follow to try to get the most points at the end of the game, but really fun, very fast moving um, or potentially fast moving card game. The other is a very different one, Chakra, which is, it's a little like Mancala. If you remember that, there's a whole family of games, you know, in this sort of Mancala um, family and Chakra is sort of a modern adaptation of those. Um, you are basically just, you know, selecting and um, you know, little colored gems and moving them up or down a, um, a track to try to uh, match the colors. Um, and there's just something very, you know, relaxing about it. I mean, it's a game about meditation and, you know, while it's still a board game, it sort of um, gets a little bit of that vibe well. That sounds awesome. Um, is it like, can you play it in a in a hard copy or is it really suited? Oh to- yeah, no, they, they sell hard copy. It's, you know, a very nice sort of, um, uh, 
pretty art um, probably looks nice in, in you know the real game, but I haven't actually played it in person. Uh, Star, how about you, man? What have you been uh, What have you been driving on? Uh, it's been a lot of two-player stuff lately, um, just kind of out of necessity. Um, but we've gotten. I'm trying to think what, what we play. We played some games this weekend, actually. Um, stuff I bought during the pandemic. Uh, Seven Wonders Duel. I'm a big fan of, and though um, this is going to be the nerdiest thing I've ever said. Uh, I've been really. There's an expansion which is like constantly sold out everywhere. And I've been like desperately trying to get the expansion for months and I cannot find the fucking thing. Uh, I feel like we've kind of run that one into the ground a little bit. Um, playing game Patchwork, which I think Dubner maybe recommended. Um, that's been uh, a lot of fun. I finally figured out how to not totally suck at that game. So that's been, that, that was, I, I think I finished with negative points like the first several times I played. Um, Another game, uh, I, I think generally we've been really into like kind of simple games with complex strategy. I feel like I used to be into like really, I got into like really complicated games that like took forever to learn and kind of, I think I moved like past that into more into simple games. There's a game called Quacks of Quedlingburg. I don't know if anyone has heard of that game. It's another kind of, uh, I don't even know how to describe It's kind of like a deck building game in a way, kind of like a Dominion, but it's done where you like, you're buying potions and putting them into a bag and then like pulling them out at random. And it does kind of random things and you're like advancing along a track. Uh, it's fun. It's simple, you know, but there's like a cool amount of strategy involved with that. So playing with a lot of those lately, uh, Splendor is, you know, always, always in the, in the rotation, I feel like. So uh, and wingspan, wingspan, I love wingspan. I do like wingspan. I find, so wing, wingspan and Splendor actually have the same critique of, both games uh i feel that uh splendor when you when when folks are really well well trained at it i guess is the or you know they know the game really well there's just too much luck on what cards come up um is is my feeling on that i don't know if you guys would agree or disagree but it's uh, go ahead sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no 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 hit me up i was gonna say yeah i mean when i first started playing splendor and it's a great you know, a great game for, you know, with people who don't like board games that much because it's so, you know, simple to pick up and yet interesting and fun. It's very accessible um, and yet good for both, you know, beginners and people who've been playing it for a while. I thought that, you know, I couldn't tell if there was much strategy to it. And then I played it online a little bit and was getting my ass kicked basically any time I played a higher ranked player. Um, there are definitely strategies to it. And, you know, the people who know what they're doing can, you know, do better on average. Um, I haven't yet figured out what those are, but there's more to it than I think I realized. Yeah, I, 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 I strongly disagree with your assessment. If, if you're, if you're play, if that's how you feel about Splendor, you're not good at Splendor. Sorry, sorry, Chris. <laughs> Splendor yeah. and Wingspan sound like shitty 80s bands. Uh... True. I'd be curious to play Splendor with you now, Matt, because I like I, I don't think I'm bad at it, but I do think that especially at the beginning of the game, there's a ton of luck with uh, in the in the cheapest cards, which one flip. You know what I mean? Like because some of them are cheaper and some of them are more expensive. And anyway, we're boring the listeners about a specific game. Um, I you know, I'm actually going to reference uh, for, for myself real quick. Like you've, you've named a lot of the games that I currently love, but a very old game that my family's gotten into lately is Sushi Go, uh, which again, like if you're, 
if you don't have uh, a deep appreciation for board games, but you like the basic strategy element, this one takes five minutes and it's so easy to understand. And it's really fun, um, especially for families or just like a casual uh, group of friends, good party game. Um, also, have you guys played Cash and Guns? I know I, re I recommended this one once through the, oh, Cash and Guns is the best. Um, but we have not played that one in a while. Cash and Guns, we got to play at an LDB draft. Uh, the basic premise is everybody gets uh, five blanks and three bullets. And every round you point your gun at somebody and you then have to decide whether you're ducking, which means you don't want to get shot or whether you're going to stay up and try to stay in the game and take the loot. Uh, I'm going to leave it there. There's like much more to it, like in terms of like what the loot is and the strategy of like how you get it. Um, but it, it, everybody starts cracking up. It's a great game. Um, a game along that theme that was really fun on Board Game Arena and I bet is super fun in person is Colt Express, where you are, you know, all bandits robbing a train and um, you have a certain amount of visibility into what other people's moves are going to be, but a lot of the stuff is secret. And so you like, the first phase of each round is you plan, you put your cards out in order, and then the second round is you actually execute those things and things go completely haywire and not the way you expect them to. And so you're just running around, you know, shooting and punching your friends and robbing loot, and it's on a three-dimensional train um, board. It's a, it's a really fun uh, looking game. That sounds well, awesome. I've got a question. How do you develop a game like that? What what type of mind does it take to think through that and to make sure how long how long does it take to develop a board game? I have no idea. I'm just very curious. I think it varies. I mean, in terms of the creating the gameplay, my understanding it it varies with how complex it is. Something like Wingspan takes years to develop. Um, that's a recent you know best selling game that involves birds you know at, at the bottom of it that has you know pretty complex gameplay something simpler might seem like it would be easier to put together but my guess is to actually refine it down to something that really works and get the rules just right takes a while and then you know the artwork the production all of those things um are you know no small matter um, and it sounds like my understanding is that it's a very hard time for the games industry right now because of shipping costs um, shipping costs, sure. you know, for everything are through the roof right now, if they can even, you know, if you can even get shipping. And so there's literally zero factories in the U.S. that manufacture, you know, uh, what you need for board games. And so everybody is dependent on totally messed up supply and shipping chains. So are we at the point in our pop culture where the developers of board games are famous and known and appreciated, or do they still kind of operate behind the scenes? There are a handful. Yeah. I mean, a lot of games have the name of their creator on them and there That's are, right. I don't know, how many would you guys say half a dozen, 10 like names that are known among board gamers. Yeah. I, I couldn't say I, I know more than like, yeah, five or six maybe at the most, but yeah, there are, it, it's a thing now. It's definitely a thing. And it's like a big, you know, it's, so there's certain there's certain developers where like the new game comes out and it's a big deal. Everyone gets excited about it. It's like celebrity chefs. Yeah, to a degree, I guess so. Always uh, picking something up. So, all right, uh, next board game question. Um, favorite two player game, and I said you guys can make fun of this question, whatever, but uh, not named chess. Um, 
because I don't know if either you play chess or whether you like it at all, but what are your favorite two-player games? And Star, I know you're, you're playing a lot of two-player games, so maybe you can you can take the, the, the first crack at this one. Yeah, I mean, I, so I don't, I, I didn't, I didn't I, a lot of those I listed were you know, either two-player games or games that work well with two players. Uh, I think one of the, the ones that we've been doing, though, maybe the longest, and it's not actually just a two-player game, it's just a game that scales really well to two players, the game called Castles of Burgundy, um, which I've, I've loved and it's it's actually it's a game that you can play up to four people but it actually it kind of feels like a bit of a slog with four people it's kind of slow and like you have to wait for everyone to take their turns and it's long um but i think the game scales like perfectly to two players and you know kind of like it's not too, as short as some of the other games i described but you know it, it doesn't take you more than like an hour to get through a two-player game of castles and Bur- castles and burgundy i just feel like it changes enough uh, there's a lot of strategy once you know how to play it, it moves pretty quickly. And it's just like, you know, it's, it's really been a great game that we've been playing for. I don't even know how long I've had that game, seven, eight years, something like that. So that would maybe be the top of the list just because that's something I've been playing for a very long time in the two player form and continue to go back to it, which is not, there aren't a lot of games that I think would meet that criteria. Cool. Dubner, you got one? Yeah, I mean, Patchwork, which Matt mentioned before, is a great one. Um, very um, simple but interesting game of quilting, because don't we all like quilting? Um, but really fun combination of strategy and figuring out what your opponent will want and um, spatial reasoning and things along those lines. Um, some other ones off the top of my head, Quarto, and a game that, that Mark Sandberg taught me, Confusion. Um, where, which is basically Stratego, where you don't know what any of your pieces are and you are trying to like deduce your pieces while also bluff the other person as to what their pieces are. It's very strange, but uh, a fun, confusing time. Um, either of you played Hive before? I, I no. played it with my niece when I was in Santa Cruz for the first time. Uh, that would be my recommendation. It's pretty quick, um, uh, easy to pick up. Uh, it, it has like a real, like, it's, it's a bug game, which sounds gross, but the pieces are actually quite weighty and fun in your hands. So that's like, that's kind of fun. Um, it's a movement game and uh, good for spatial reasoning. So I like that one. Um, and then the other one is a re- that I like to mention is, is a really old one where I have an adaptation where everyone knows what all the pieces are. So you can literally cross them out as you go. But Carcassonne has excellent two-player playability um, because you can start playing defensively to try to trap the other players guys um, if you know what pieces are gone and, and which ones are still coming so it's that's an I go ahead uh, I am so bad at that game I do not understand like why I suck so horribly I've like I don't think I've like ever won I've probably played like 30 games of Carcassonne and I've lost like every single time I'm so bad at it I just I don't know I like my brain doesn't like work properly with that game for whatever reason it's one I used to play that on my phone a lot that's a that's a fun one that's what yeah, I was about to go there it's one of the best adapted to your phone games and especially because they they did link it so that you could play with other people um and that was a really fun fun way to handle that game um, all right, well, cool. Uh, my next question on board games is uh, best cooperative game. I'm gonna get out of the way on this one. Outside of pandemic, I really have very little knowledge and I think you guys have much more, so go for it. 
I mean, Pandemic is, you know, the one everybody knows because it's, you know, the best. It's a great game, um, balanced really well. Um, it can be too hard um, and, you know, you can, you can adjust the difficulty level, but it's just, you know, everybody always has something that they're doing. Um, you know, obviously if you're, in a group, if you're in a group where one person is like dominating the conversation and saying what everybody should do, it's gonna be a little bit annoying, but barring that, it's just, you know, a, a game that feels like an accomplishment every time you win without being, you know, overly complicated. Yeah, that, that was my only complaint with Pandemic is that it's, it can lead itself to the situation where one person is just takes over the game and, you know, when you play it with that person, it kind of sucks. But the first Pandemic Legacy game was still one of the coolest game experiences that I have had. And, and kudos to to that game for kind of opening that world up to me. So I still think Gloomhaven is probably still the best collaborative game. Um, I think it's just, I mean, Chris, I know you didn't, I, I think maybe playing with kids is not, the best it's it's rather complicated and i could see how it would either like be really slow or just not you know you wouldn't maybe get everything out of it that that you would have but i mean as someone who played who plays dungeons and dragons i know dubner plays dungeons and dragons too and i played it as a kid it's kind of like the D D experience without the dungeon master and, and the game kind of guiding you which i i think is is, is pretty great and you know, with a lot more focus on fighting in particular, but still, it's just a really outstanding game in so many ways. I mean, I've only played it once. I'm going to have to go back. Part of it, I think, is that learning Gloomhaven literally takes 19 hours. Like, it was, it was such an ad adventure just to try to understand. And then, like, you feel like you're constantly going back and, and learning rules on the fly, and then you do things wrong, and it's like, oh, God, it's I, I, I couldn't handle that part of it. So, um i i but do it, it pays off though it's it, there's so much of it that like you know i mean god we we do how we put hundreds of hours into Gloomhaven. Yeah, we spent a, a couple of years playing on average at least once a month um and yeah, yeah i'd say often, probably more like every two to every two to three weeks i would say yeah yeah no by like 100 hours in it's great so you just got to give it 100 hours <laughs> Um, I do worry about our time. I, I, there's more that we wanted to get to here. So I feel like any last thoughts on board games? I mean, the, the question I really wanted to get to is, is there one that you don't understand its popularity um, that you wanted to just reference? But uh, Agricola for me, probably. There are just so many better games in my mind in that genre and, every, and people love it. I think I just don't understand it and I'm not good at it, but. I, I love that game and like I feel like everyone else hates that game. Oh, I know you're, you are not alone. And Anna hates it too. Uh, really, really detests the girls a lot, but I, I think it's a wonderful game. Cool. All right. I, I think we need to have some some trade discussion. I think it's time to move on. And and I know you guys again visually you can't see it, but Becker literally left his his room. He was so bored by the board game conversation. It happened like two minutes in, he just disappeared. So hopefully he'll hear trade talk and he'll come back. Um, a lot has happened. Um, clearly, there's been many trades uh, in the last few days. Uh, trade deadline passed last night. Trout was the last move. Um, I had to say. Didn't see Ian moving him for that little. That surprised me. Um, but, uh, you know, given uh, the, the new landscape, and especially given that both of you made moves over the last two weeks, 
figured maybe Dubner, I'll give you a couple minutes just to talk about the direction of your team and the trades you made and how you're feeling about everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel pretty good about my team as as it's been from the beginning. It's a team that depends on people being healthy at the right time. Um, you know, my strategy from the beginning was, you know, I knew I could have an amazing offense. I knew I really couldn't have an amazing rotation from day one. Um, and, you know, so I figured I would get one of the uh, Lynn Morton Strasburg trio. And, you know, I got the sort of middle of the three in the end. Um, and then figured rather than try and chase another ace, you know, take some guys who I figured would be back a little bit later on in the year. Um, and, you know, essentially did the same thing in the trade deadline. Um, wanted to add more pitching, especially. Um, Mark and I had been talking about DeGrom really on and off for months, two months, roughly. Um, and, you know, that deal was dead for a while and it didn't look like he was going to sell at all. And then it got revived and then DeGrom got hurt. Um, and, you know, at various points, basically everybody Mark traded was in it, you know, Arenado, Woodruff, Bryant, you name it. Um, but very happy with the way that that ended out. My, you know, my other deal, the, the deal with Sean, you know, I needed story because Corey Seager's, you know, prognosis is so unclear. He has been days away from returning for a month now. And, you know, that status keeps changing. So I felt like I needed a shortstop and story made the most sense. He also finally gave me a good base stealer. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not super optimistic about um, Shane Bieber. Hopefully I'm wrong about that. Um, and the shoulder injury will, you know, go away with some, with some rest, but, um, that, that deal was really about story and, you know, not one I necessarily would have made if I didn't, if I didn't need the short stuff. Makes sense. Um, star, any, any comments or, or thoughts on your own moves? Yeah. I mean, I, I was, you know, I made just a couple of minor deals. Ultimately, most, I, I did most of my damage earlier in the season that I, I, you know, I think I said that at some point on the podcast, but yeah, I mean, most of my trades were done earlier. I, I kind of knew this, this was likely to be a quiet deadline. I didn't have a ton to trade. Um, I think the more people asked about Andrew Vaughn, the more I just kind of decided I wanted to keep him and promote him because he was like mashing as we were like talking, you know, you like, in the middle of a trade discussion, Vaughn like hit a home run in the background and like, yeah, hey, you know, I don't know that this is really going to make sense. And that was kind of my big trade chip. And, you know, I mean, Mark and I talked about um, Ian uh, asked about Andrew Vaughn, I think, you know, once every three hours or something <laughs> leading up to the deadline. But, you know, if I wasn't going to trade Vaughn, um, there really wasn't a whole lot for me to do. Um, you know, I almost heard Joe Musgrove to Josh and then that didn't happen at the last minute. That would have been interesting. And I, then I was going to go, you know, I had a bunch of moves lined up that kind of were going to flow from that and just didn't, didn't happen. And, uh, you know, I blame Keith Law to some extent for that, but uh, we, we had talked about Shane Baz and then Keith Law put him number four in his rankings. And then we weren't talking about Shane Baz anymore. Makes sense. Um, Becker, how about you, man? How are you feeling about the, the moves you made and uh, the direction the league took here at the last last couple hours before the deadline? Yeah, it was quite, quite a flurry. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased with the moves I made. Um, I really wanted to focus on offense, and I did that over the last maybe three weeks or so. Real happy with Fam. I think Correa will be fine. 
pleased with getting Arenado. So offensively, I should be better than eighth in Roto. And if I compare a, a you know, currently number one pitching Roto with maybe a top five, I like my chances in the playoffs. Uh, I really also didn't want to sell the farm, so to speak. So um, there's a core group of double A guys that I really wanted to hold on to and value for next year moving on. And um, I was able to preserve those. So uh, yeah, at this point, like I could have kept dealing, but I didn't see, I didn't want to trade for trading sake, um, fixed the holes that I needed to do. And now it's up to the boys to just, actually produce just real quick on on where i ended up like i wasn't planning on making very many moves either um the the move that i did make came a little bit from from starting to believe that my offense was broken uh and 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 (laughs) less actually from less actually from like not having good players because i have really good players but more that all my players play at the same position and Adolis Garcia uh, has really been bad lately. And then when I found out that Chris Bryant plays first base, third base, center field, and right field, I was like, "All right, I got to engage with, uh, got to engage with Mark." And then to give up Patino and and get both his studs, uh, it just made sense. So, um, and then the deal you and I made came from a place of worrying about roster construction and needing to drop players and not wanting to do it. So recouping a little value out of Sandoval was good. Um, I think that one hopefully will work for both of us. I envision you're going to keep him next year and, and I'm a huge Sandoval fan right now. So, yeah, you know. that's, that's the hope. Um, no, I think that was smart on your part. I mean, you, you would have, as we discussed, you would have either had to, um, for next year holds Garcia or Sandoval. And that would have been a really difficult choice. And it sounds like you're real high on Garcia. Uh, so get what you can. And I think you got a good return from him. I do. You know, personally, and, and I'm not sharing anything we didn't talk about last night on the phone, but um, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned about my pitching staff, primarily Freddie Peralta. The goal was to have him be the ace. Uh, he went four innings last week, not because he's injured, but because it looks like Craig Council and the Brewers are going to limit his innings moving forward. And the same may happen to Corbin Burns. It may happen to others, but um I, I think the threat of uh, an innings cap is very real with him. So I was looking around and saying, okay, I have this like monster of a SP one and I've got a very solid bullpen. Um, but if my monster of an SP one is only giving me four innings in a playoff week, how can I supplement that? And I thought, you know, Sandoval was, I, I bought him at probably his highest point, but I also think, um, I also think he could turn into something special. He could also turn into dog shit, but uh, it seemed to me like a, a gamble worth making that I need to, I needed to address some pitching uh, with the intention that Peralta was not going to fulfill exactly what I needed him to do. Yeah. I will say that the Peralta thing is, is scary as, as a Corbin Burns owner to see like, Oh shit, it's just like what's coming from Burns. Yeah. I think, it happened to Peralta first because he was primarily a reliever last year. And so yeah. I think they, they have a, har- a harsher inning, innings cap on him. But I, I do worry that this may be, you know, and this is also a team that, that has playoff aspirations. Uh, you know, right. you want to keep these guys fresh for the playoffs so you can actually like use them when you get to October. And I don't mind limiting his innings to, to four inning appearances in weeks, you know, LDB weeks. 
what, 15 to, to 19, um, but let them loose, <laughs> let them loose in week 22, 23, 24, 25. I'm not sure if that's actually what's going to happen, but there's a better possibility that they just like uh, let it eat, you know, later in the season, if they're in a pennant race, than they do in the dog days of August. So much of this yeah, is really it, unpredictable. Sorry, Star, yeah. I, just real, real quick. And, and it, it part, it's, we have no prior, right? Like if you're the playoff team, the Brewers really are the most interesting one to watch. This is a team where they're really young. Uh, they have a number of pitchers that they want to limit. They also are going to win the NL Central, I think. So at some point they have to say like, if we have a shot at a flag, like we have to play our best players, right? And then if you slow down, like let's say you have a phantom injury for, uh, for Peralta or Burns and you sit them for three weeks and then they come back and they're not right. Um, I mean, there's just so many things that just, it, it feels confusing uh, about what to do. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I was not shy in predicting um, that there would be many fewer innings by starting pitchers this year. But there was a point maybe four weeks ago when I was like, man, you know, I was wrong. Guys are, guys are throwing the same amount of innings as they have been traditionally. And now I'm kind of backtracking and saying, oh, wait, maybe I was right all along. And teams are going to find different ways to limit their, their cap. So in the case of the Dodgers, I think that comes through via uh, phantom DLs. I think a, a team like the Brewers, they're going to throw Peralta and others four innings as opposed to maybe six or seven. Uh, with the Rays, it's like they've got their, their first half pitcher list and they've got their second half pitcher list, which is like weird and, and super fascinating. And like, they're clearly going to try and trade off the old guys that gave them the first half innings and rely on some of the new guys who are going to like lead them to the postseason. So each team is doing it differently, but I think like after some, some self-doubt and second guessing, I think we're back to the point where I don't know how many pitchers are going 200. I think few will go 180. We're going to see a lot in the 140, 160 range. Fascinating. I thought it was pretty funny that like the, the, the Rays went out and added some salary in Nelson Cruz and then immediately had to go trade Rich Hillaway. Yeah. Like, all right, we can't, we can't pay Richard two million dollars anymore. None of this. Off with you. They're like the A's again, right? I mean, it's it's starting to feel that way. Uh, but they got they got what they wanted out of Rich Hill. They got what hundred innings uh, for really cheap, and then they've recouped some value, and now they're they're you know letting it run with some young studs. So it's it's a fascinating yeah, and, way to do it. No, and, and Hill was amazing in like April and May and really kind of fell off in June, July too. They got like the best of Red Shell too. Right. They got they got two great months and then yeah, why not? Move on. Right. You don't expect him to pitch more than two months in any given season. So, you know, get him and then if he's still healthy, <laughs> move him. Seems like a pretty safe plan. I mean, it's like a it's like a fantasy owner almost. Yeah. Uh, Becker, I know you wanted to to cover something, which I'm gonna give you the in right here. You and I made our trade on the phone. First time I've ever made a trade vocally. That uh, was the first time? I, I think so. I mean, I've definitely negotiated with people to like, to like get the bulk of it like started and uh, over the phone. Because I, I, folks know about me. I just love the phone. I'm, I'm from 1945. I like it's just what I enjoy. Um, but you humored me, especially because I was driving all day yesterday. And I don't think that trade would have happened without that. Um, but 
I definitely enjoy the phone and I thought that was a good way to make a trade. We, 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 we leveled quick. I agree. Yeah. I mean, we, and I wouldn't say it's quick. We, we discussed for maybe 20, 25 minutes before we realized like what exactly we were talking about. And I, I think that's really important. So I think, um, you know, I had suggested that we spend a little time discussing the mechanics of trades, how they work. Different people do different things. For instance, I just learned literally today that there's a Google Hangout for LDB. <laughs> I didn't even have Google Hangout on my phone. Um, and I realized that people are communicating like all the while I'm just doing email. So uh, that is not a very efficient way to communicate and do business. So I like, um, I like talking on the phone. I think it's a great way to do business. It's a great way to figure out what people want. And when it comes to trading, I know personally, I, I put a lot of thought into um, trying to be as respectful as possible. Uh, I'm not trying to pull one over on anybody. I try to think thoughtfully about what another team needs or would think in a certain situation when I propose something. And I try not to just propose dog shit as a first offer, something respectable. And so um, it's not to say like there haven't been situations where I've inadvertently proposed dog shit. But I think if you, if you want to be known as a respectable stand-up owner, you have to come with some respect uh, for others. And so I try very hard to do that. And I, I thought that us getting on the phone and you actually proposing that we speak by phone to hash this out was a great example of that. Um, so a lot of respect to you. I think it's, a, it's not something I would have done otherwise. I would have just been inclined to text. And we probably would have... Uh, kind of spun our wheels for a little bit and not come to a, an arrangement. But by kind of talking through what we were each willing to do and what we were willing to give up, um, it became very clear, like there was probably a path forward. And, you know, we each spent 30 minutes to 45 minutes looking at the numbers and figuring out whether it could work. And then it did. And hopefully we each got what we wanted out of it. So I know not everyone, um, goes about the business that way. Some people it's, it's Gchat, some people it's text message. Um, some people it's just straight email. I've done, I've done all of those things, but I like, I like the phone calls. I think hopefully that's a good path forward. And I hope people listen to this and say, huh, maybe I'll try that. LDB, you can call me anytime. That's how I like to negotiate. <laughs> it works. It works pretty well. Dooner, what's your favorite way to make trades? You know, it, it varies from time to time and year to year. I mean, there are different things I'm looking for at different times. This year, I had so few trade chips that I kind of zeroed in on some possibilities and then did, you know, a lot of work talking with those folks and, you know, thinking through options to, you know, figure out what might work. I mean, Sean and I almost had a deal, deal for uh, Shane Bieber um, six weeks ago, maybe. Um, I mean, we, we were, you know, very close to finalizing it when he went on the IL. Um, and so this year was much more about, you know, working through with the other people, what is it that they're looking for? What are their concerns about the season, et cetera? Um, you know, Mark, as, as I'm sure some of you know, was on the fence as to whether to sell for, you know, much of the year. Um, and so, you know, hearing that out and, you know, trying to give, you know, unbiased thoughts on that when asked for them without regard to what it meant for my team. Um, but it wasn't as much a year as some of them are of, you know, um, 
putting out feelers to everybody, seeing what people are doing, um, you know, getting, you know, price checks on folks um, because I knew I couldn't make that many moves. And so, you know, was focused on the things I was focused on. Makes sense. I do think LDB has a really robust trade network at this point. It's one of the healthiest signs of the league. I don't think that there's any two people that can't trade with each other. And that's, that's one of my favorite parts about the league is that it does feel very connected at this point. And that's, that's a kudos to you star in creating that environment and um, fostering that. Um, so uh, you trade very differently star. I, I feel like I should give you a moment here. You're, you're more like, you know what you want. You're direct. Oh you're yeah. Uh, and then like you're, you you just go right at it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. That's, that's kind of, I'm not really like a haggler. You know, I, I try to be very upfront about, I try to like, map out the entire trade ahead of time from both sides start looking at it from, and then just put the offer out there and you know that offer is not meant as like an opening salvo that offer is the offer you know take it or leave it off it you know i guess teams can you know you can you can tweak it or whatever but you know that is what i have deemed is uh, is is fair value in you know in that situation um you know i think i think it's worked i, I think you know i as a result i think i some people maybe I don't know how everyone feels about this. I certainly feel like in some trades I've, I've been viewed as giving up like overpaying for something because I just like threw an offer out there instead of inching my way up there. But I think, you know, it's, it's, it's paid dividends over time. Um, you know, and I, I think I, I, I mean, you can all, you can all tell me if I'm wrong. I think I am easy to deal with because of, you know, I'm easy to have a trade negotiation with because of that strategy and that tact. Um, I also wanted to say, I think the only person in LDB that I've maybe never traded with was Jeff Harcourt. I think I, I think I probably had done a trade with literally every other owner in this league except for Jeff. <laughs> yeah, looking back uh, at the, looking back at the last you know two years of trading, very impressive stuff that you've done with your team star. I mean, a lot of you know. Um, prescient drops of guys who you know you weren't cutting bait on you were getting great value for but you know you've for the past several years had a model of feeling completely free to tear down your team um and to sell you know guys who other people would treat as the untouchable franchises um and just sort of churn players in a way that you know has really worked to your advantage so i was very impressed yeah i mean i think thank you i i think maybe more than others. And uh, you talked about this last week, I don't even remember, but I think I'm more willing to, to trade anyone than maybe anyone. I'm not particularly attached to my guys uh, in the way that I think a lot of owners are, you know, I'll trade anyone, anyone and everyone if, if that right offer comes along. Yeah, yeah, the other thing, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, no, you first. I was just gonna say the other thing just about you know, looking at the trades overall as I was putting together those review emails. I mean, so many trades this year compared to 2019 when the biggest guys traded at the deadline were Carlos Martinez and Michael Pineda. Um, I mean, so many moves, so many super teams built, you know, which is, you know, something we could have a whole nother conversation about, um, you know, whether, you know, what, whether we like the sort of everybody is either a massive buyer or a massive seller, you know, trend that went on this year but Ubner, who a, are the super really teams active deadline and a really active you know first half of the season leading up to it who are the super teams uh i mean the you star schutzer brophy 
Um, the roof, I think the busters, those are probably the six that I would refine that I would put up there. I mean, if, if Dubner's team can get healthy, that is the superest of super teams. I think if, you know, if DeGrom and Bieber were, were to get on the mound and I mean, even Carrasco, I don't even think he matters at this point, but you know, if, 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 if all those guys are healthy at the same time, that team is horrifying. Yeah, I mean, Brophy and I have a fun competition for best IL of all time. I mean, my IL right now <laughs> is DeGrom, Bieber, Carrasco, Eflin, Seeger, and Grandal. And his is Trout, Buxton. Uh, who are his pitchers on there? Um, Kershaw. Kershaw, right. You know, little, little guys like that. Um, Jake Fraley, uh, you know, you name it. Yeah, Aaron Savali, who I just thought was going to be out till like September. Ooh. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I got Carlos Correa, and I was I was feeling myself pretty good, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> everyone's just armoring up, and it almost feels like this like mutually assured destruction going on. Where like where does where does it end? Where does it end? <laughs> There is I mean, that definitely was, an that was the genesis of, you know, the McQueenies and, you know, both the McQueenie penalties and the McQueenie cup um, and, you know, things like that was trying to not just have this sort of super team fire sale, um, you know, cycle every year and to incentivize more now for now trades and, you know, make it so the people who are borderline playoff contenders didn't feel like they had no chance. So what's the point? And, you know, I don't know if we've set the right balance or not. It's a hard balance to set because you don't want to be too punitive. You don't want to limit people. Um, you know, we've done as good a job as we can, but it's this year more than ever. Um, it felt like people went, you know, bonanza. This may be a, a topic for another day, but I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, so I didn't have visibility into the league before I joined clearly, but I'm wondering whether this is a recent trend. I know Mark and I came into the league and immediately we're in sell-down mode. Uh, I don't remember wh whether we came in at the same year or whether he preceded me by one year, but we both had a very similar strategy. We were just going to tear it down with studs. And I think it sounded like other teams have had done that, but maybe not to the extent that, that we did. Um, so I'm, I'm curious whether that kind of like put in motion this, no, the notion that, uh, you know, you just tear it down, rebuild for a few years. Star can probably address that, but it's probably a topic to get into a later day. Yeah, I think we can, well, let's definitely like make it one for a, a, another podcast, but I do think we can comment on it really quickly now. I mean, I, as long as I've been in the league, the super teams have been a thing. Um, and in the beginning, I hated it. I felt like it wasn't the game that we played for the first 15 weeks. And then all of a sudden it was a new game and I didn't like that. Um, I actually think though, that the teams that do it best are the ones that manage to keep a foot in the future at the same time. Right. Like, uh, and this is, you know, I, I'm not trying to critique any any one team or pat anybody on the back, but um, it's more just you have these great prospects. Can you protect them? Um, like, and then can you can you move off of the guys that maybe are would love to have, but you, you're you're all in this year. And Dubner, like, you're somebody who I think really does push the chips all in. Like at this point, I, I think it's a competition between you and star for who has less left in the future tank. True. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Braylon Marquez and Jalen Ortiz uh, and Elon Montero all going to be monsters. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's star you as well. Right. So it's like, I, I think it's, it's a different strategy. It's the, the ability to, to trust your, your process in the future and know that you can, you can do it again. You can find your guys, whatever. Um, 
uh, versus the other end. You know, we heard from Jorvi last week and Jorvi finds success from holding. So, um, but the super team thing, I think is, is definitely worthy of being discussed. Any further thoughts on it? No, Star, no. What do you I, I did. I did want to say just, you know, you weren't in the league when we put these rules into place. And I think it's not quite what it used to be because there used to basically be no incentive for a team not to just trade everything that wasn't like bolted down. And so like, you would just see like the bad teams would just trade. Like it would be like, not just like Jacob deGrom going, but Jacob deGrom and like six other random dudes were going in these trades, like just filling out everyone's rosters and stuff. We, that doesn't exist anymore. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, that has, has chill out. That was like the real era of the super team where you would just like, trade your two best prospects for like half of somebody's roster <laughs> and that that's gone. And I'm happy that that is, that is not the case. And I think, you know, we've done the best that we can. I think this year was particularly weird because we just had, there were just such clear buyers and sellers in a way that I think we hadn't quite had before uh, and early not had in a long time. Um, so early that I think a lot of teams just like knew kind of had a plan one way or the other and had a lot of time to like can carefully consider that plan. And so, you know, we saw execution of it over the last few days. Uh, I think it was a bit unusual, maybe like, you know, I think 2019 is maybe a little bit, maybe more than norm uh, as you were, as you were pointing out, the, the much, a much less insane trade deadline. I feel like it's more what we've seen the last couple of years and this year was a bit of an anomaly in that way. Yeah, I think the biggest difference in my mind in terms of sort of fire sales now versus earlier is we have more people selling at the beginning of the season. I mean, the phenomenon of taking a player in the draft with a deal already worked out to sell him is something that's, you know, three, four years old at most. Um, but yeah, I mean, you compare um, uh, early ones. I just found a trade, a 10 player trade that um, uh, Jeff and I made back in 2008 where I got uh, Lance Berkman, Edwin Encarnacion, Chad Godin, Roy Halladay, Brad Hopp, John Lackey, and Jimmy Rollins. Like those were the kinds of ridiculous monster trades that we would have that were just, you know, like, like you're saying, it, it was a different game in the second half than it was in the first half. And I'm glad that we don't, you know, quite, quite go, go that far. All right. Um, I do feel like we're going to have a natural moment to talk about this further when we bring Ian back on to talk about his power rankings, which I know he's working hard on as we speak. Um, and so maybe it makes more sense just to pivot and do our weekly segment. Uh, are we going to pronounce any deaths? I imagine we are. Um, anyone willing to pronounce a, an LDB death? Uh, I, I'd like to, I would like to pronounce uh, a team that we previously declared dead alive and that is the cornballers who are on absolute fire and are suddenly like knocking on the door to the playoffs here uh like they're the only team outside of the top eight i think it's within 10 games of a playoff spot right now and you know it's funny i think i only noticed this because i was doing the um the mcqueenie penalties stuff and tracking everyone's record and i was like holy shit he's like you know 60, what is he over the last 40 and 20 over the last five weeks? And suddenly he's like just about back to 500. Yeah, he's he's now, what, seven games out of the playoffs, the only team within 10 games of the playoff spot that's, that doesn't currently have one. And it's kind of wild to see, um, you know, 
kudos to Hughes. I mean, he didn't trade. He told me he didn't want to trade Luis Castillo. He's been amazing. He promoted Tariq Skubal, who's been great for him. And, you know, apparently reached out to Ian at the last minute last night about potentially buying uh, and trying to add Ooh. some pieces. Couldn't make, couldn't make it happen. Oh, that's, that is fun. I like hearing that. Uh, the other team that I think we need to pronounce alive again, if we ever pronounce them dead, is Anton. Mostly just because Anton didn't really hard sell. And he's within distance of, of uh, Jorvi as well. So we'll see. I mean, I don't like his chances, but he definitely still has something to play for with a few weeks to go here. Uh, I've got one team to pronounce dead. Unfortunately, okay. I think the wind are dead. Uh, just with the sell-off. I, I was a big wind fan. Um, I, I thought they were going to catch Jorvi and doesn't appear to be the winds here. So regrettably, I think the wind are dead. Yeah, if Bieber had been healthy, if Gallon hadn't been injured for a while, I think they would have had a great shot once George Springer came back. You know, that was a team that had really good bones, but just had, you know, some really consequential injuries for a long chunk of the season. Yeah, awful luck. And it, I, I feel bad for Sean for winning last year. And there, in my mind, there's no asterisk in, in small part because he beat me, but also just because I think it was, it was a tough season to play and, and his team was ended up being the best team. So um, I would have liked to see him run it back in another kind of successful campaign. Uh, so unfortunately it wasn't a B, but hopefully uh, he's back before too long. He will be. John's too good at this to stay down. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, any final LDB thoughts? Home stretch. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. For home stretch. Thanks all for having me on and look forward to um, I guess Star and Becker, hopefully seeing you in mid-September. Schutzer seeing you in late September. Um, here's hoping. I like what you just did there because it means that I go to the finals. So yeah, let's do that. I'll see you there. Uh, and I'll, I'll send an email to Brophy in a minute telling him I hope to see him in late September and you know, <laughs> one to Jorvi. Fair enough. Uh, don't forget Paul. I feel like Paul is the stepchild that we've never talked I'm, about. Yet. I'm playing Paul this weekend. I mean, Paul is a solid, solid team. Yeah. Um, especially given that most of my pitchers are injured, you know, Paul, Paul could easily wipe the floor with me this week. I, I, I regret that we didn't leave a little more time to talk about who didn't buy that. Maybe we were like, huh, that's interesting. But I feel like Paul was the team that was in limbo. Um, anyway, we will talk more about that, uh, in future weeks. Um, and happy hunting, everybody. Good luck. Take care of everyone. Thanks everybody. Thanks, thanks everyone. Thanks, Stephen, for coming on. Baseball.